How are you? I'm good. Tired. <laughs> oh, Sabe. Sabe, how was your first visit to Long Island? I'm sorry it couldn't be with me. It was like every other suburban area I've ever been to. <laughs> I live like where you were. Yeah. I lived like right around the corner from there last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I forgot that. I knew you lived there, but I was like not thinking about that when I was there. Yeah. I, I literally lived right there. That, like the CVS you probably passed is where I got picked up pills like gotta get that adhd medication folks <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> my friend was like yeah uh everyone you t- to live here you have to be rich otherwise oh yeah no absolutely i not. mean like i'm not i'm not saying I-, I was rich while i was living there i was living with my grandmother rent free who had lived there previously for 50 plus years when it was way less expensive to live there mm-hmm. And it was a convenience factor because we lived right down the street from the courts, which my grandfather was a lawyer, so it was like he could walk to work every day, like, you know. Also, so I listened to last week's episode, and in case you guys, I don't think we've ever explained this, but the person that does the story for that week is the one that takes on the work of editing that episode, and Alicia edited last week's episode like a saint because I needed to finish my thesis so she did last week's episode, so I listened to it today because <laughs> I want I always listen to your episodes because I want to see which of my jokes you take out. I cut I cut ruthlessly, but at the same time, like I don't really listen to that many episodes, but it just came up and I was like, why not? Let's hear it. <laughs> and we you asked me if I've ever had an almost story mm-hmm. and you also said that your big fear is getting kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah, I have my, a story for you that I didn't think of yes. last week. Yeah, I almost got kidnapped. Oh my, yes. Let's, let's start with this. When I was like, oh my God, how old is I? I think I was like maybe 10 or or, or 11 or 12, maybe. We had a family party. So it was like my mom's family was at my house. Right. And near my house is like a park. And then there's like a trail in the park that leads you to like a school that has another playground. Okay. Yeah. And my cousin and my cousin Kelly and I thought we were so cool. We're like, we're going to ditch this party (laughs) and go hang out at the playground. (laughs) You're just... Get, trying to be the main characters. Um, my boss on Thursday told me I am the main character. So after I told her I need leggings with pockets in them and how I paid extra money to have a pocket in my bridesmaid's dress, she looked at me and goes, you are the main character. And I was like, you're goddamn right I am. Love that. But anyway, so we go to the park and then we decide to go up to the school playground, which like it has, like, a gate around it, so, like, you're not supposed to go in it if, like, the school's not open, but everyone always just would hop the fence and just go hang out there anyway. Right, right. We go up to the school playground, and we're running around, we're playing for a little while, and we turn around, and there's this car in the field behind us uh-huh. like, doing donuts. That's fucking weird. And we weird. look at each other, and we're like, that, that's weird. <laughs> right. That's suspicious. <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> so... We um, were like, okay, we're going to leave. And, like, there were two paths you could take out, like, walking paths. Mm-hmm. One that would take you back to the original playground. Right. And another one that would take you out into the street, like, between houses. And then you could just walk home. Right. So I looked at my cousin. I was like, let's dip. Like, let's get out of here. Right. And so we go onto the walking path that we hadn't come from. And the car starts following us. And I was like, we were like, what? And it's, like, it's very narrow. Like, 
it was really like it's a walking path like a car could not go down it right so we're in the middle of it and there's fences on either side because it's property on either side right and we turn around and the car is trying to drive down this path and we're like oh my god so we start like speed walking because you know me right i don't run no even as a 11 year old possible kidnapping victim (laughs) i don't run so we're like speed walking we're like looking around corners and we see him, like, coming down one street, and we're like, oh, hell no. So that's when we start running. Oh, of course. And <laughs> so we get back to my house, and we're, like, out of breath, and we go to our moms, and we're like, oh, my God, this just happened. And these they didn't believe us. Nobody believed us. Damn. Yeah. We, like, ran up to my room, and, like, the first weapon we grabbed was perfume. Wow. You guys were really quick thinkers. I don't even, I don't even know my thought process behind that, but we were just like hiding in my room the rest of the night and nobody believed us. So that was my almost story. That's the second time I almost got kidnapped. Oh my Lord. The first time was I was waiting for the bus in front of my house when I was like eight or maybe a little bit younger, maybe six. And this guy drove up in front of my house and was like talking to me through his car. And he's like, you want to see my dog in my backseat? And I was like, uh, yeah. And my dad came out the front door and he was like, hey, (laughs) what are you doing? And the guy like, and I turned around, I was like, puppy. And the guy just like drove away. Oh my gosh. Bro. <laughs> because I would be the kid that almost gets kidnapped for a puppy. Yeah. Well, they don't warn you about puppy. They warn you about yeah, candy. About candy. Yeah. And you know what? My mom, as a joke, like growing up, she would always be like, you don't ever have to worry about getting kidnapped. Cause if you get kidnapped, you just keep talking and they get so t- sick and tired of you that they just give you back. And as and as a kid, I'd be like, huh, okay, mom. But then I got to college and I was like, they wouldn't give me back. They'd just kill, kill me. me. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> they would never give me back. I would just be dead. <laughs> yeah, that made me think of the traumatizing experience of almost getting kidnapped. Almost stories are, I find them very interesting. Have you almost ever, um, has anything almost ever happened to you? I'm trying to think. Uh, well, I don't know if this counts as an almost story, but in high school, I went on a, an exchange trip to Germany that, uh, then that morning we turned on the news and found out that the same airline going to the same airport that I was flying mm-hmm. to, uh, had crashed into the Alps. Oh my God. And I like was freaking out cause I was flying that airline to that exact same airport location. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they crazy. were going, well, they were going from Spain to Frankfurt and we were coming from Toronto to, to Frankfurt but it was still the same like airline same airport so like, yeah that was already freaky enough so I was like kind of freaking out and my dad's like like ch- like oh just like chill out like when's the last time that like that happened twice I was like 9-11 like come on <laughs> are you kidding <laughs> that's like not funny but at the same time it's it's a like you were just you had that ready. You're like, nope, that's happened twice. Exactly. Thank you. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if that counts as an almost, but it was freaky at least. Yeah, that is super freaky. But oh my god, that's funny. Yeah, this is Bookaholics Anonymous. I'm Francesca. I'm Alicia. Do you want to talk about what you're drinking? Oh yeah, um, I have a Yingling here. Great beer. I'm having red wine. Ooh, no. and you finally you have your wine glasses. I finally have my wine glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this week I'm I was underprepared again because I was really trying to push through this thesis and pump it out, and I got it done. I handed in my draft last night, Ooh. so I didn't think you'd be 
interested at all in hearing about disability representation in Newbery Award winners from 2010 to 2019. <laughs> so, which is the bulk of the reading I've been doing this week. I got a suggestion from Uncle Steve. Shout the out. best uncle. Yes, shout out. Even though technically he's my only uncle that I have left, but we still love him. Who I'm not going to even call my uncle anymore because I just reference him in every episode. So, Uncle Steve, thank you for this one. <laughs> um, and I'm going to just jump right in. Unless you have anything you want to talk about. Any? Um, I was at Barnes & Noble today because I had to. Legally. Not really. I just, I just was like, oh, let's go to Barnes & Noble. And they had a book out. It's not supposed to be released until the 17th. <gasps> it was out today. So, 10 days Barnes early. Barnes & Noble, get your shit together. I'm like, oh, someone's getting in trouble. <laughs> Which book was it? Uh, a, a Burning God by... Uh, uh, fuck it. It's like, are you... Uh, uh, I'm going to say it wrong. But it's called The Burning God. It's part of the Poppy War series. And I just um. read the first one. And we'll be reading the second one this week. So... Figured I might as well pick up the third one. So and you just bought it? Right it? Yeah, I just bought it. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, wow. That's fucked up. That's dumb. Yep. But yeah, that's the only thing. I just thought it was weird because it's like 10 days early. Yeah, it's not even like the day before or anything like that. Like, mm, sure. But yeah, I just thought it was weird because it was so early. Yeah, that is like, that's very weird. Okay, ready to get started? Dive in. Yes. Okay. So I'm not going to tell you who this case is about, even though I doubt you know who she is because I didn't oh, okay. know who she was. Uh-huh. It's actually really funny because the link that Uncle Steve sent me had the name Alicia Cummings in it. And I was like, if I have to tell a story about Alicia to Alicia, this is just going to get really fucking confusing. It's going to get not. hella confusing. It was already confusing enough when you did the silent patient and it was uh, Alicia. Alicia. Gotta love the Brits. God save the queen. Is that British? Is that the British pronunciation? I thought it was just the uh, Spanish pronunciation. No, it was the British. It was British readers. It was Brit- uh, British audiobook. Interesting. Yeah. I've never heard it from a British person. Only like my, it's beautiful. Like, li- my like teenage <clears throat> friends all call me Alicia. Okay. Well, so this story takes place in Kew Gardens, Queens. Ooh. And it's set in, set in, like it's not fucking true. Set in the 1970s. <laughs> Actually, it's 1965, so pretty oh, close. close. So the morning of July 14th, 1965, Alice Crimmins, does that name mean anything to you? No, okay, nope. good. Goes into her children's room. Uh, she keeps it locked with a hook and eye lock on the outside. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. A little weird. That's a little, a little weird. Yeah. So inside... That seems dangerous, actually. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. What if there's a fire? Then they can't get out of their freaking room. What the hell? (laughs) That seems like child abuse. (laughs) So inside the beds of five-year-old Eddie Jr. and four-year-old Alice Marie, whose nickname is Missy, and for the sake of continuity, I'm just going to refer to her as Missy for the rest of the story... All right. Their beds were empty. They were gone. So the casement window and, like... Do you know what a casement window is? Or is that like a window that's like set like it's like a into the wall? Like there's like kind a kind of so like you know like in, in you know in like fairy tales when they push open the window and it's like vertical when you push it out. Oh, it's like, and like a, you like open a, it out. Yeah, and then like they like French door effect. Yeah. Well it's like that, but it has like a crank on it sometimes oh. or it has like a latch. Okay. Yeah, okay, so okay. 
I had to look it up because I wasn't sure if they were referring to, like, a basement window where you, like, pull it down. Like, I had to look it up to right. clarify. Right, right, right. So it was, like, cracked open a little bit and the screen on the window was gone. And next to the window outside was, a, like, a pram stroller, like, that kind of style stroller. Right. With a box on top of it. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. So Alice had remember cl- had remembered closing it the night before because the screen had a hole in it and she didn't want bugs to get inside. So she had closed the window. Smart. Think smarter, not harder. That's right, folks. So the screen was later found outside the house or the, like, the apartment leaning against the wall beneath the window. Mm-hmm. Weird. So Very Alice weird. immediately call- uh, calls her strange husband. Alice <laughs> immediately calls her estranged husband, Eddie Sr., and accuses him of taking the children. Fair. <laughs> first thought. Husband did it. Man, always the first. Accused. I can't falter at that, honestly. Yeah. So Eddie Sr. was an airplane mechanic and worked nights. He insisted he had no idea where the kids were. And he was kind of alarmed by her saying the kids were gone because he didn't have them. And if she didn't have them, where were (laughs) they? Who has the kids? (laughs) (laughs) So he told her he was coming right over. So the Crimmins were currently separated and were fighting over custody of the children. And that's why, like, neither, like, if she didn't have them and he didn't, yeah. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so Alice and the kids lived in an apartment complex near Queens College. Once Eddie got to Alice, Eddie called the police and they were there within like a matter of minutes. So Jerry Peering the is the detective that took on the case. He was kind of like new to being like a detective, which is like never a good sign. No, you never want the newbie. <laughs> Come on. Have I learned nothing from watching true crime shows? Yeah, he, but he was enthusiastic, which we love to see. Maybe not for Alicia, but... <laughs> if I go missing, you best be... It'll be me solving it. The cops won't even be involved. <laughs> I'll call the cops after I figure out who did it. Don't... No, but they're not getting involved. Well, so taking one glance at Alice, he determined she looked nothing like, like an anxious, like, bundle of nerves mother who just lost her kids... That would mm-hmm. be, like, in that situation. She just, like, right. didn't appear. She, like, was, he seemed very calm. Right. So, a description of Alice's appearance from peering was that she was a striking redhead in her 20s. Oh. She had thick makeup on. She had, like, hip-hugging capris. Oh, and a flowered capri- blouse. capris for me. <laughs> no, thank you. And white high-heeled shoes. So, the first sweep of the property... It, did not look good for Alice. They found garbage cans that had dozens of empty liquor bottles in it. Oh, great. So Alice said it was just from good housekeeping because she was expecting a visit from someone from the state about the custody hearing. So like for them to come and inspect the home environment kind of thing. Right. So it was from that. It wasn't from overindulgence. Okay, sis. Sure. So Alice had dropped a little be- little black book outside of her apartment, and the list of men outnumbered women to four to one. It's not looking good for Alice. Yeah. So they also found a bag under her bed of like souvenirs of like her partying days. So it had like greeting cards and party uh, dinner party programs and things like that. So the bag also showed she'd been having a relationship with a man named Tony Grace. And he was a 52-year-old highway con- contractor with ties to important Democratic 
politicians. She had been introduced to Mayor Robert Wagner, which when I heard that, I was like, Natalie Hollowell? Natalie Holloway, excuse me, not Hollowell. Hollowell was an entirely different fucked up case. Hey guys, surprise, surprise, it's me in post. Just small correction, I 100% know I was talking about Natalie Wood, not Natalie Holloway. Regardless, both cases are really fucked up, but I know I was wrong. I was 100% referencing Natalie Wood. KK, on with the show. As well as Senator Robert Kennedy. She had met both of them. Ooh, Kennedy. Mm. Love that. But also the Kennedys uh, have a bad track record. Yeah, they just have a really tragedy overall... tragedy. <laughs> it's funny, too, because when I was picking what I was going to do today, I was thinking about doing, like, a politician, like, some sort of political scandal. Like, I was going to thinking about doing, like, JFK's assassination, the Lindbergh baby, like, one of the two. That would have been super ironic because of, you know, we got the election results today, which was not planned. Obviously, no one, no one knew when they were coming through. Yeah. But that would have been really fucking great that's why i didn't do it because i was like we've all been stressed enough from politics <laughs> so maybe like let's not do that let's not do it yeah maybe at another time when i fuck up and don't have anything prepared <laughs> so peering questioned alice about her activities on july 13th the day before the kids went missing mm-hmm. so between 2 30 and 4 30 she took the children on a picnic in casino park They stopped and picked up food for dinner. When she got home, she called her attorney to discuss the custody case. And she was concerned because a former maid claimed that Alice still owed her $600 and that if she paid it, she wouldn't testify against her in the case. But if she wouldn't pay, she would tell the judge the story of how Alice, without warning, abandoned the kids for a weekend to sail to the Bahamas with Tony Grace and his friends. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is according to Alice. Oh, my gosh. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> you can't just abandon your children to go sailing on a yacht it's not how it works so alice claimed that she was on the boat for like a bomb voyage like goodbye party and that she I'm had been jokingly sure. locked in the bathroom with tony and the boat like took off with them in the bathroom shut up <laughs> not buying it come on so the attorney didn't appear as optimistic as usual that she would retain custody after hearing the story understandable yeah so after dinner she took the kids for a drive she was actually looking for eddie senior's new apartment she knew he had her phone bugged and she was hoping to get him back by get back at him by finding him living with another woman petty petty we love to see it and even more petty because adultery you could be like charged with that back then in new york state really Mm mm-hmm well, she was doing it. I'm so. pretty sure. Don't quote me on that, but I'm almost positive because <laughs> don't I quote us on anything, like, basically. Honestly, but I remember like reading that, like that adultery was like you could be like you know, especially in divorces. Yeah, it's like we love a petty queen. Yes. So after about an hour, it was dark, so she gave up the search. Once they got back home, it was around nine o'clock. Alice got the kids ready for bed, and a former babysitter, who she was like 14, ended up telling the police at a, like a later date. That at that moment, she had passed under the window and she could hear the children, like, saying their prayers. So it was, like, 9 o'clock. Like, that's confirmed. Right. So she had intended to replace the broken screen with the one from her room, but Mm -hmm. found out that her dog, Brandy, had also, like, ripped that one. So Mm -hmm. instead of 
someone said she just reset the original in place, but, like, without bolting it, like, clipping it shut. Clipping it in, yeah. Yeah. So, after the children were in bed, she cleaned up all of those fucking liquor bottles around the apartment. And at 10.30, she sat down to watch TV. She was, and she got a phone call inviting her out to a bar on Long Island, but turned it down because she didn't have a babysitter. She didn't have a babysitter. Really, she just didn't want to go to Long Island. I don't blame her. <laughs> After the phone call, she took Eddie Jr. to the bathroom, but she, like, couldn't wake Missy. So she just kind of left her in bed. And she explained that she kept the door locked to stop Eddie Jr. from raiding the fridge. That's a fucking weird reason. Yeah. I Then put a lock on the fridge after, like, a... Like, exactly. Uh, Don't lock your kids in their room. Yeah. That's dangerous. Come on. Yeah. So she thought she had relatched the bedroom door, but, like, it's not confirmed whether she did. Right. So then she took the dog Brandy for a walk and then sat on the front porch for a little while. And she said she may may or may not have locked the front door at the time. Like, she doesn't remember. I think it's weird she'd walk the dog that late. What the hell? Yeah. So when she's getting ready for bed, she gets... Eddie Sr. calls her, pissed about the maid's claims about the Bahamas, I guess. <laughs> Mood. Uh, so she, to calm down, she took the dog for another walk. Oh, my God. And she finally went to sleep around 3.34 a.m. Yeah. So a little background on Eddie uh, Eddie Sr. and Alice. They were childhood sweethearts. They were married for seven years. And, like, they were, like, reasonably happy in the beginning. After the birth of their son, they started fighting more because he was working late and going out drinking with friends. And then after Missy was born, Alice decided she didn't want to have any more kids. And so they were both raised, like, as good, faithful Catholics. So Eddie was, like, ultimately never going to forgive her when he found, like, birth control in her purse. God forbid. God forbid. On June 22nd, 1965, Eddie went to court to get custody of the kids. At this point, they were already, they had already been separated. Right. The petition claimed Alice was basically, was openly having, like, sex with a rotating cast of men. And the kids would, like, wake up and find a different man, like, leaving every morning kind of thing. (laughs) So, like, it wasn't a good environment for them. Yeah. So, Eddie was also began obsessively keeping tabs on Alice. This sounds familiar. He he bugged her phone. He put mics in her bedroom. Like, super sus. Absolutely not. No. (laughs) Mm Mm-mm. It's a no from me. So during their separation, Alice alleged that Eddie told her he had exposed himself to little girls in the park, and Alice didn't believe him and thought he was just trying to play on, like, her sympathy for his loneliness and, like, how sad he is kind of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So now Eddie's whereabouts on July 13th, the day before the kids disappeared. At 7 a.m., he played golf at a public course in Bethpage on Long Island. He added that he wasn't very good. He had three beers with a friend at the clubhouse, watched the Mets game on TV, and left around 2 p.m. before the game even ended. He drove to Huntington uh, to see if Alice met the guy from the bar that had called the night before. Right. Yeah. Since he had her phone bugged, but he didn't find her car there, so he got home around 5 p.m. and spent the night watching TV. Around 11 p.m., he went to a small fast food stand near St. John's University and then went home. He went to a bar until 2.45. While drinking, he drove to Alice's house and thought he saw a light on in her living room. That was when he went home and called her about the maid. 
and like riled her up about that. Oh my lord, stop harassing this woman, yeah. damn. So he watched a movie on TV, read for a little bit, and then fell asleep around 4 a.m. When checking his alibi, the movie Eddie had claimed to watch on CBS was actually on much earlier. Hmm. Interesting. Peculiar. I'll say. <laughs> so Peering noticed that the children's bedroom, in the children's bedroom, there was a thin layer of dust undis- undisturbed on the top of their dresser. And this eliminated the possibility... It, say this. According to Peering, this eliminated the possibility that they went out through the window because... They had to climb over the dresser to get out. Right. But it was disputed by forensics because they had put powder on the dresser to find fingerprints. Uh-huh. So, like, it wasn't that it was dust. It was the fingerprint powder. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so, early in the afternoon of July 14th, so the same day that the cops are called, a nine-year-old right. boy found Missy's body in an open lot on 162nd street about eight blocks from alice's apartment a pajama top was knitted or excuse me a pajama top was knotted into two ligatures was and loosely tied around her bruised neck so the autopsy found no evidence of sexual assault hemorrhages in the mucous membrane in the throat and vocal cords confirmed it was death by asphyxiation I don't like that. So the search for Eddie Jr. very much intensified. And then the morning of July 19th, so about five days after his sister, uh, a father and son found Eddie Jr.'s body on an embankment overlooking the Van Wick Expressway. The body had been eaten away at by rats and insects and was in an advanced state of decay and decomposition. So how far was he from... Missy. Like, how far was his body? That they didn't say. It just said that he, the site was about a mile away from Alice Crimmins' apartment and was actually okay. fairly okay. close to the grounds of the World Fair that was going on at the same time. Oh. Mm. So it didn't, like, it didn't give the coordinates to how close he was to Missy, but how close they were in, in relation to, to Alice. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. After the children were buried, Alice and Eddie Jr. ended up reuniting. The police investigation explored a bunch of different avenues, but they all ended up leading back to Alice, which is, again, suspect. Right. I'm not surprised. This woman is just... A, she, Her and him, Eddie, they're both suspect to me. Yeah. So the investigations, like, included reports of a... You're going to appreciate this. Oh, no. Reports of a strange intruder in their neighborhood. The so-called pants burglar who broke into people's homes and only stole men's pants oh my gosh if you're gonna steal something steal something more entertaining i know but that's so funny to me like steal the batteries out of people's remotes (laughs) that's funny steal people's remotes yes and then just walk by their house and like casually change the channel on them bro that's so devious Mm, love to see it love to see it so they also took a closer look at alice's little black book so, Tony Grace, the guy that she had been seeing, admitted right. to going into Queens the night that the kids went, like, the kids disappeared mm-hmm. uh, with a group of bowling girls. And bowling girls are married women who go out partying under the pretense that they're going bowling. 
That's awesome. But he maintained he stayed away from Alice during the custody battle and had not seen her recently. Right. On the night of the disappearance, Alice had called him to get drinks, but he kind of like put her off just and like told her he was like about to leave the bar, like don't bother kind of thing. So Joe Rowreach, Rowretch, Rowretch. Uh, he was the one that had invited Alice out to Long Island the night of the disappearance. And she was the one, he, he was like, no. She was like, no. Right. So he told the cops he called Alice twice that night, first at 10 p.m. when she rejected him, and the second time at 2 a.m., but there had been no answer. He also... Even though she was up, well, because she didn't go to bed until... Four, yeah. He said that he had been drinking that night, so he could have misdialed the number. So that's a possibility. Got it. So... On December 6, 1965, police give Joe the first of two sodium pentanol truth tests. Oh. Satisfied by the results that his self-confidence was, like, weakened by it, they employ him as a spy. Excuse me? I didn't know we were in Soviet Russia. Literally. So, Joe takes Alice to different motel rooms where recorders were planted but their conversations ultimately don't bring up anything important. In the beginning, Eddie was more than willing to cooperate versus Alice, who wasn't. He took a right. lie detector test and even convinced Alice to take one, too. But after the preliminary questions were completed, she refused to continue the test. Which is like, girl, don't you just want to find out who did that? Like, make it easy for them? True. So, with the exception of one detective, the police decided to focus solely on Alice. Before the couple could move into their new apartment, the police took cues from Eddie and wired that shit up. They put (laughs) ultra-sensitive microphones all over the place and then also tapped the phones. The cops were monitor... The cops monitored the apartment around the clock but couldn't get anything incriminating. Unsurprisingly, though, Alice seemed to be, like, aware of the police surveillance, which I'm sure she was pretty good at picking up, thanks to Eddie. Right. So, basically, they had to listen to her when she would have sex with, like, all these different men. (laughs) That that is... I aspire to be that petty. So, that kind of solidified their their belief in her guilt. Like, if she had any sadness for the loss of her kids, she'd kind of, like, chill, you know, on having sex with everyone. So, the cops ended up getting so mad that this was, like, like they weren't getting anything uh, from the bugs. They told Eddie that Alice had been sleeping with Joe. And so, Eddie calls her and she insists she's alone. So, to try and provoke, like, a husband versus lover situation, the cops cut Joe's tires. Oh, my gosh. They're, like, shit disturbers. They're, like, let's get some drama up in here. We're going to make this, like, as the real housewives. We need (laughs) drama. We need fights. We need confrontation. The cops were full on executing a reality TV oh, just show wait. here. So, oh my god, they, they have his uh, Joe's tires cut, but he manages to have the car towed before Eddie got home. So Alice moved out of their apartment and moved in with an Atlanta businessman that she had been working as a secretary for. So she moves out of the apartment that her kids were... No, they had moved into a new apartment after, and then she moved out of that one in with this businessman. Okay. So naturally, the police immediately tell the businessman's wife and help her destroy Alice's clothes when she comes to New York. 
Oh my gosh. They really went full on like reality TV show here, didn't yeah. they? So the investigation continues for about a year and a half without like any progress. And the public pressure for action led to two failed grand juries and no indictments. <laughs> Love to see it. Love to see it. So on September 1st, 1967, ADA James Mosley convened a grand jury with new testimony from a mis- mystery witness. <sighs> oh my gosh. The witness oh my Lord. was soon identified as Sophie. I have to get this last name right. Erom. Eromersky. Eromersky? Eromersky. <laughs> Who knows? I tried. Not us. Couldn't be me. <laughs> Dyslexic brain. Who can never be me. So Sophie originally got involved in the case anonymously. She had written to the DA a year before on November 30th, 1966, telling him how happy she was that he was bringing the case to a grand jury that ultimately failed. She also reported an incident she witnessed while looking out of her window on the early morning of July 14th, 1965. Shortly after 2 a.m., a man and a woman came walking down the street. The woman lagged behind the man about five feet and was holding what looked like a bundle of blankets under her left arm and was leading a little boy walking at her side. Chris Watts, is that you? fuck up. So the man yelled for them to hurry up and she told them to quiet, be quieter like someone would see them. The man took the blankets and heaved it into the back seat of like a nondescript car. Of course. And the woman got in the back seat with the with the boy. She had dark hair. The man was tall, not heavy, with dark hair and a large nose. She signed the letter a reader. So when they were looking for Sophie, they obtained handwriting samples from tenants living in the building that could have viewed the scene that the letter right. described. And that's ultimately how they found her, which, like, nowadays handwriting analysis Jack is, shit. like, not, yeah. yeah, in court. But, like, back then, apparently, it was something or it worked, at least, to right. find her. So when they identified Sophie, she actually recognized Alice's photograph as resembling the woman she had seen with the man. Hmm. So, prosecution convinced the grand jury that the bundle of blankets referenced had to have been Missy's body. So, her testimony finally convinced the grand jury and the indictment uh, levied charged Alice Crimmins with with murdering Missy. So, the trial began on May 9th, 1968 in Queens. So, she didn't get... She's not getting charged with killing Addie Jr. then. That's going to be... It has to be a different trial. Well, so right now okay, it's just okay. Missy. Okay. We'll get to that. So there was like a dominant public perception of Alice of being like this sex crazed man hunting cocktail waitress. Am I that right? It's internalized misogyny. Internal <laughs> internalized misogyny. So the prosecution questioned the forensic expert, Dr. Milton Helpern, who said that the stomach contents of Missy had a post-ingestion period of at least of less than two hours so if what halpern said was right and assuming alice had been the last person to feed her children she couldn't have seen missy alive at midnight as she claimed like when she went to go get eddie jr to go to the bathroom so they questioned joe uh rorich rorich i'm not gonna be able to joe they questioned joe 
whose life had pretty much started falling apart. <laughs> His marriage was on the rocks. He was upset by the brief period of arrest uh, as a material witness. He made it clear in his testimony that he had lost any small amount of loyalty that he had for Alice. Joe indirectly quoted Alice saying she did not want Eddie to have the children. She would rather see the children dead than see, uh, than Eddie have them. That's a bad look. Yeah. So the defense had not heard that before, but didn't think it was that damaging because the jury must have realized that that was a statement coming from the spouse in the heat of a custody battle. Okay, sir. Mm, I don't know. That That's is not correct. Weird. They would usually say, yeah. I would rather be dead. Not exactly. the children. But sure. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure. So Joe also testified that he had a long conversation with Alice in a motel in Nassau where she sobbed and said the children will understand. They will know it was for the best. And she also said, Joseph, please forgive me. I killed her. Bro. Oh, my gosh. So Yikes. Alice immediately jumped out of her chair at his testimony and was like banging on the table, like asking him, how he, how could you do this? It's not true. Like, Joe, you of all people, how could you? Yeah. So right. the defense couldn't, didn't even have like a good rebuttal to that. And they couldn't really get a good cross-examination after Alice's outburst. Like it just didn't. Yeah. yeah. So Alice's defense attorney actually went to the judge the next day and asked to withdraw from the case because prior to being... Uh, prior to the trial, he had represented Joe, and it was Joe that had introduced him to Alice. So, like, he couldn't do his job correctly. Right. It's a, yeah, conflict of interest. Yeah. So, Sophie also took the stand and elaborated on the testimony she gave in her letter and at the grand jury, adding a pregnant dog. She said that when the man asked the woman to hurry up, she said that the dog is pregnant, and the man gruffly said, why'd you have to bring it? Brandy, Alice's dog was actually pregnant at the time, but it wasn't that noticeable, and the dog only produced a single puppy the week after the killing. Oh my gosh, holy shit. So the defense tried to destroy Sophie's credibility, but it was limited by the judge. The judge threw out an affidavit from a doctor that a head injury suffered by Sophie at the World's Fair had caused permanent brain damage. Oh my gosh, they were really trying They tried. Uh, The defense had also tried to question her about her two suicide attempts and she just said oh my gosh but she's and sophie apparently said something to the effect of like she had stuck her head in the oven to check if the food was ready and like she walked and like everyone was like clapping as she like walked with her head held high out of the courtroom i don't know but it didn't basically it didn't work right so the defense put alice on the stand to show the world like she had emotion and she wasn't like made of stone right and when the questioning got to the children, she started to tremble and the judge called for a recess and she ultimately finished her testimony by refuting Joe's claims that she like didn't kill her kids. So the trial ended after 13 days on May 27th, 1968. The next day, the jury returned the verdict of guilty of manslaughter. She maintained her innocence at her sentencing and she was sentenced to no less than five years, but no more than 20 years. Okay. Let that make sense. Yeah. So in December of 1969, the appellate division ordered a new trial because three of the jurors had secretly visited the scene Sophie uh, of Sophie's identification of Alice. Yeah, <laughs> love that. So the case was retried on March 15th, 1971, and it was much different circumstances. So it was a different counsel. There was new DA, new 
defense. There was a change in the judge. And, like, it gave the community a time to, like, cool off. And, like, so it was a very less intense courtroom environment. Right. And because Alice had already been convicted of manslaughter and Missy's death, double jeopardy Mm -hmm. laws meant that she couldn't be convicted anything greater of that against her daughter. So she could, like, the highest she could get was manslaughter. Right. So to compensate for that, prosecution brought an indictment in for Eddie Jr.'s death as well. So that's where he he comes in for that. Got it. But because of the rate of decomposition of Eddie Jr.'s body, a cause of death was never actually determined. Right. Prosecution presented evidence from Dr. Halpern that it could be inferred because of the circumstances of Missy's death, how how Eddie Jr. died. Right. So Joe amended his original testimony saying Alice told him that she killed Missy and consented, quote unquote, to the murder of her son. Which, like, how does that make sense? That makes no sense. Unless it's, like, you're having someone else kill him. So you consent. Like, it doesn't make sense. Makes no sense. So prosecution brought in an... Prosecution brought in a new witness, Tina DeVita. Tina DeVita. Oh, my God. (laughs) A resident of the same apartment complex Alice lived in at the time. She stated on the stand that while driving home with her husband, she looked out the passenger side window and saw people walking. It was a man carrying a bundle, a woman, and a dog, and a boy. And, like, that basically, she saw, so she basically was confirming what Sophie had seen. Right. So, defense was pissed that, like, this would happen. In an attempt to cushion the blow of her testimony, because it was obviously very damning that she was confirming someone else's view or what they saw. The defense brought in Marvin Weinstein from onto the stand. A young salesman from Massapequa, Long Island. Weinstein swore that the morning of July 14th, it was him, his wife, son, and daughter that had passed under Sophie's window on their way to their car, saying he carried his daughter like a sack of potatoes. And they were accompanied by their dog, who might have looked pregnant because it was overweight. What the fuck? Okay, sure. They also called Vincent... Colabella to the stand. He was a jailed gangster who had apparently told another inmate that he was the one that murdered Eddie Jr., but denied it when he was questioned by police. And when he was on the stand, Colabella like kind of like chuckled when he said he knew nothing about the crime and he had never seen Alice before. Right. So like that's a little suspicious. That's yeah, a little weird, but yeah. So on April 24th, 1971, Alice was found guilty of murder in the first degree in the death of Eddie Jr. and of manslaughter for strangling Missy. On May 13th, 1971, Alice was sent back to prison where she would stay for another two years. In 1973, she was granted another appeal on the basis that the state had not proven without a reasonable doubt that Eddie Jr.'s death was caused by a criminal act, which is like, kid was five years old and he showed up on the side of a no right that's not no so in relation to the manslaughter conviction the court granted a new trial on the basis of a number of errors and improprieties so basically the like in the second trial i don't i'm like 95 percent sure alice wasn't didn't go on stand for that one and the prosecutors made some sort of comment about how if Alice isn't testifying, like, she has something to hide. Like, something along those lines. Like, don't quote me on that. That's not right. exactly what they said. But it was it, it was improper, basically. So, in February of 19... 19- yeah. 
In February of 1975, the Court of Appeals announced its decision in the appeals in relation to the verdict of the second trial. So it maintained the decisions made by the appellate division mm-hmm. only in part. So it agreed with the dismissal of the murder charge for Eddie Jr., but right. it reversed the allowance of a new trial for the manslaughter conviction. It basically okay. said that while it was improper for the prosecutor to make those comments, it wasn't heavily impact the verdict it wasn't what it wasn't the thing that she was convicted for basically like it wasn't the only piece of evidence kind of thing so the manslaughter conviction was confirmed by the appellate division in may of 1975 and alice would be sent back to prison to serve her sentence (laughs) the defense attorney tried one more time for an appeal claiming new evidence an affidavit was given to the attorney by a scientist named F. Sutherland Macklem, who said on the morning of July 14th, he had picked up two small children, a boy and a girl, hitchhiking in Queens. The boy said he knew where home was, so he dropped them off at the corner. And while he never learned the children's names, he claimed that the boy could have called the sister Missy instead of my sister. Mm Mm-hmm. He admitted that he identified the children he gave a ride to as Eddie, Jr., and Missy after reading the newspaper after reading the, after the first trial. Right. So on December 22nd, 1975, the Court of Appeals maintained its tri- trial rejection. The decision was made because Macklin's seven-year delay in coming forward with this information. Like, why would you wait seven years? Like, no. Goodbye. That's, Goodbye. That's what I was thinking. Like, what? Yeah. Stop. So January... So she's still in prison at that point. January 1976, Alice began work release as a secretary on weekdays. And they got, like, random... I think it was, like, every other Sunday. They kind of just got to themselves. And so she would spend it on her... On the boat with Tony Grace. Just, like, riding around. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So in July of 1977, she married Tony Grace. And in September of 1977... After only 30 months in prison and nine on work release, she was given parole. What the fuck? And she slipped right into obscurity. She's now in her 80s, I think. Holy shit. Yeah. So did Joe ever get any, like, prison time for being, like, an accomplice? No. That's what What I was like. I didn't read anything about them, like, ever finding the man. Like, I would like to point out my, what I read was the murderpedia on this. Love that. So, I like I all I read was about her. So I don't think they ever found the man from Sophie and Tina's testimony. And I right. thought it was also interesting because Alice said the the dinner that she made for them was veal. Like they had when they had gone to pick up food for dinner, she had picked up veal. But right. the stomach contents, Missy's stomach contents, they found macaroni. Mm-hmm. So it was like who gave like was. She, who gave her the macaroni kind of thing. Right. Unless, like, Alice gave the macaroni as a side. I don't know. But it was just very weird. The prosecution didn't have, like, a real clear motive of why she did it. So it was just very weird. But I thought it was very interesting. My dad, I told my parents that I was doing this case tonight. And Mm -hmm. my dad goes, you know, Grandma used to tell me and Uncle Paul that she would Alex, um, Alice crimmins us when we misbehaved. <laughs> I was like, that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. And I'm pretty that's sure, so, so my funny. mom told me that her uncle 
was actually one of her lawyers, not for the trial or anything, but at, like, one point... Right. He was, like, involved with her as one of her lawyers, which is, like, super weird. That is weird. It's random. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that is the case of Eddie Jr. and Alice Marie Crimmins and their death. Damn. I don't think I've heard of that, but some of the aspects of it sounded, like, like familiar. Familiar. Because probably because there's a million cases yeah. like that, you know? Well, I read, um... Huffington Post ca- post article about it, and it was like Casey Anthony before Casey Anthony. And I was like, "Fuck, <laughs> damn." Yeah, but Al- Alice Crimmins actually got convicted for this. Can't say the same about Casey Anthony. Cannot say the same about her. And actually succeeded in slipping into obscurity, unlike Casey Anthony. <laughs> right? Jesus Christ. I know. Yeah. yeah so that Fuck, was this week's dude. case. Wasn't that so fucked up? That is fucked up. What the hell? Because like you don't actually know how Eddie Jr. died. And it's, like, not clear if she actually killed the kids or if she, like, could have hired someone to do it. You know what right. I mean? Like, right. I feel like because of, like, her political connections, she very well could have, like, hired people to do it. Right. That's a good point. Ooh, so many unanswered questions. Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> oh, boy. That's crazy. What the fuck? And then the guy never got, like, convicted or anything. Yeah, because I don't think they ever found him. I'm going to do more research on this because clearly I didn't do enough. Thank you to the the <laughs> review, even though we already talked about this last week. But thanks to the review that sticks in the back of my mind now that we don't do enough research ever. Please feel free to just rip into me for this one. Flame us. Flame me. <laughs> Put me on roast. I would love to like get roasted. And you can follow us on Twitter at Pod. You can follow me on Goodreads, Alicia Reads 13, or on Storygraph, Alicia Reads. I love that for you. And you can find me on Twitter at HBI Cheska and on Instagram at Francesca Hope. And we'll see you for the next one. Bye.